us probably have um, one of two reactions to this passage and the famous commands that are contained in it. The first reaction is simple and a little sad. And that is, we've heard Jesus' command so often that they hardly register. We hear, turn the other cheek, and we think, well, that sounds nice. The world would be a better place if more people did that. Or we hear, love your enemies. And a similar thought develops. Yeah, that sounds nice. It would be good if more people did that. And out of our trained indifference, we really think deeply about actually trying to follow them ourselves. And the second response that Jesus, to Jesus' words uh, is a bit more serious, but also assumes they're somewhat out of reach as well. Turn the other cheek and you're, we think, well, you're kidding, aren't you? And, 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 and I'm not doing that. I'll be treated like a doormat. Or love your enemies. And you, can, you think, well, you can't be serious about that. You need to hate your enemies. Both commands and many others of Jesus' demands and instructions in this particular portion of Scripture seem to be sheer folly or, at the very best, idealistic sentiments that would be crazy to apply in the real world. But here's one thing this morning. Jesus isn't kidding. He's deadly serious about these commands. In this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying for a few weeks now, Jesus is outlining his vision for God's kingdom and he is issuing a summons to those who desire to be part of it. And this is why we need to take them very, very seriously. Of course, if you think such sentiments seem a little crazy, then you're not alone. You're not alone. Critics from the extreme right and critics from the extreme left have often criticised Jesus' teachings as ludicrous. Consider Ayn Rand, a political philosopher who wrote these words, if any civilization is to survive, it is the morality of altruism that men have to reject. It is the, it is the morality of altruism that men have to reject. And then there's Karl Marx, the father of communism, who said, the social principles of Christianity preach cowardice, self-content, abasement, submissiveness, and humbleness. And before we dismiss Ayn Rand and Karl Marx's critique too quickly, I think it's fair to point out that indeed turning the other cheek and returning hate with love is no way to get ahead in this world because the rules of this earthly kingdom that we live by are well known. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world where only the strong survive. But that's just the point this morning. Jesus isn't trying to modify the rules of this world. Now, contrary to the prosperity preachers that get about on the television at 5 o'clock on Sunday mornings, Jesus is not inviting us to figure out how to make the most of this world or how to live our best life now. And he's not even inviting you and I to find a safe point amid the storms of life. Rather, Jesus is starting a revolution this morning. He's starting a revolution by calling the rules of this world into question. And the same, at the same time, he's redeeming the world that he loves. So Jesus calls the power of, of the day, the power of this world, into question. 
He does this by describing an entirely different way to relate to each other. Jesus invites us into a relationship governed not by power, but by vulnerability grounded in love. Gandhi said some 2,000 years after Jesus, he said, an eye for an eye makes all people blind. And so here, Jesus invites us to overcome the base urges of retribution and vindictiveness. But instead, in the same name, and in his name, sorry, instead, in his name, we are to rise up and start a revolution of loving submission and forbearance. My friends, strength eventually fails, power corrupts, and the survival of the fittest leave many bodies on the ground. The love of God alone transforms. The love of God alone redeems and creates new life. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that, one man said. Retribution, vindictiveness and hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So if we're inclined to just gloss over and brush past these familiar words too quickly, simply because we want to get back to the familiar stories of, God, of Matthew's Gospel, you know, the stuff like the Lord's Prayer and, and ask, knock and seek. If we want to get back to that stuff and just gloss over this stuff, or if it's, it's not that, or we just want to dismiss these commands out of hand as religious idealisms or religious impracticalities, well, I would urge you all to instead slow down and take these words of Jesus a little bit more seriously. Because in these few crazy statements, Jesus lays before us the plans for the kingdom that he's proclaiming. Jesus lays out before us the starting plan of his revolution. So before joining the revolution, we should know just what it is that we're getting ourselves in for this morning. And so to find out what we're getting ourselves in for, we need to jump to the, the end, right to the end, the last sentence of our gospel passage, the part that sounds ridiculously hard. Verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. One key observation here, the word we translate perfect is actually a Greek word, telos, or teleos, depending on the, uh, the grammar in the sentence. But the Greek word for perfect is telos. And the word telos implies less a model perfection, but rather it means reaching one's intended ultimate outcome. Telos means an ultimate end, an ultimate fulfillment, an ultimate completion, ultimate purpose. So telos... The telos of an arrow shot by an archer is to reach its target. That's the telos of the arrow shot by an archer, is to reach its target. The telos of a peach tree is to yield peaches. Exactly, that's its telos. The telos of a boy is to grow into a man. The telos of a girl is to grow into a woman. Which means that we might translate this passage to mean Living out your God-created identity, live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. That would be a good way to use that Greek word telos instead of using the word perfect. 
because it does work, it does mean perfect as well, but it means tele. And so we get the word telephone, don't we? The ultimate end of the conversation along electronic wires is on the telephone. Telegram. We use this Greek word everywhere. And so that is what that means. So when we read this, this passage this way, Jesus' words are less a command and more a promise. In other words, God sees more in you than you do. God has plans and purposes for you. God intends to use you to achieve something spectacular. And that something spectacular is precisely to be who you were created to be and in so doing to help create a different kind of world. Jesus calls this new world the kingdom of God. Where violence doesn't always bring more violence. Where hate doesn't always kindle more hate. Where retribution doesn't bring more retribution. So can we do this? It's a big question, isn't it? Can we do this? Can we turn the other cheek? Can we love our enemies? Can we pray for those who persecute us? No, not perfectly. And some days, not at all. But that's not really the point here. It's not our job to bring the kingdom. That's Jesus' job to do that through the Holy Spirit. However, it is our job to live like we really believe Jesus actually disciples and Jesus, we need to believe that we are actually Jesus' disciples and the citizens of his kingdom. And it's our job to realize that we get to practice living like Jesus' disciples and the citizens of a new kingdom. In the meantime, we live in telos. We live in this telos. This approach doesn't forget or even minimize the presence of sin in us or the presence of sin in this world. But neither does it assume God is limited by our sin either. But rather, it takes seriously that we, we're always being called by Jesus to be more than what we could be and what we thought we could be. We're always being called to be more. And, and Jesus invites us to claim our identity as God's chosen and beloved people as we live in this world. So Jesus' message here, returning hate with love and turning the other cheek, praying for those who stand against us, is incredibly countercultural. This will not win you an election, but it may help change the world for a better, to, be, to be a better place. And I say change this morning, not to save, but to change, because to save is Jesus' job. It's Jesus who promises to save and redeem. So we're, we're free to take care of our corner that we live in and to continue practicing to live like Jesus' disciples throughout the week, throughout the months, throughout the years. And then returning to church every Sunday to be reminded of Jesus' grace and his forgiveness and to be sent out once more to live as part of Jesus' kingdom. You know that, don't you? You just don't come to church on Sunday and live like the devil for the other six days of the week. You know that, don't you? You come to church to get refilled because you're supposed to be living as a saint the other six days. So you do know that, don't you? It's not a club. You know that. Amen, yeah. Good. We've got that sort. So my friends, the Christian life is not about arriving 
but always about becoming. <coughs> and so as we come to the Lord's table in just a moment, I would invite you and encourage you to receive who you are in the power of the Holy Spirit and then go and become what you have received. Today, this Sunday, is an opportunity to continue receiving the identity that God gives us and subsequently to become the person God has created us to be. And so, who are we? Who are we? We, we represent God's family on earth, those with the God-given potential to change the world. We are those who live by Jesus' radical ethics now and model a new and a different way of being in the world that we simply call the kingdom of God. It's now. And so as we come to the Lord's table this morning, let us consider who we are called to be and begin to practice it. And so how can we do that? Perhaps we might try to pray for someone with whom we struggle. Someone who has repulsive thoughts towards you. Someone who has evidence retribution. Someone who has evidenced unkindness against you. So praying for such a person is just a small step. But one we might take in grace and freedom. A small step to receive God's gift of identity and promise of purpose. Please pray with me. Christ the Lord has made us into a new creation. He gives us a new birth in the waters of baptism and nourishes us with his word and his spirit. Turn our hearts to you, Eternal Father, so that always seeking the one thing necessary and devoting ourselves to acts of kindness, that we may worship you in spirit and truth. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.